Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. I'm super grateful that um, our church is gathering right now because in a lot of capacities, there's not a lot of gathering going on. And so sometimes this is my social hour. (laughs) I have two little boys. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And sometimes... (laughs) I just call my friends and chat because I haven't talked to an adult in a while. This is your first time here. Welcome to Church 214. If you can't tell, we do things a little bit different around here. If you are on Facebook Live or listening on the podcast, welcome. Um, If you don't know, my name is Peyton. Um, I lead here uh, in the youth ministry. Some of my students are here. Jamari, shout you out. Um, it's my joy, my privilege uh, to preach the Word of God today. It's a great Sunday to be in church. The sun is shining. I've missed the sun. It almost like changes your whole attitude when the sun shines. You're not gloomy and lazy. I mean, I haven't been able to be lazy lately. I'm packing my house. I'm moving in a couple days. I'm actually really thankful for the community that this church brings, Um, mainly because my husband is out of town and I'm moving with two kids by myself and there's an army of you who are helping me, so thank you in advance. So I thought it would only be right to start this morning from reading God's Word. And um, I just want you guys to listen. If you want to close your eyes, meditate on this, whatever you want to do. This is from Psalm 63. Oh God of my life, I'm lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more. With cravings in my heart that can't be described, such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of you and your power and drink in more of your glory. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love and praise you, God. Daily, I will worship you passionately and with all of my heart. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. I overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. With passion, I pursue and cling to you. Because I feel your grip on my life, I keep my soul close to your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask right now, Lord, that you would just release tensions in our bodies right now, Jesus. That we would be in a place that our hearts, our minds, and our souls would be in a place to receive from you. Jesus, every word I say may it be a word that you want your people to hear. Jesus, I pray that after today people have a deeper longing and understanding of you and the importance of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today we are actually starting a new series called The Upper Room. And I often find myself signing up to preach on topics that I don't know a lot about. 
And I do that for two reasons. Number one, I feel like God's asking me to do that. And number two, I want to gain a better understanding of who God is and what this book says. So that leads us to today. I only knew a little bit about the upper room. I would say I knew the majority of maybe what some of you know, right? The Last Supper, um, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, um, where Judas betrays Jesus. And what I learned is that the upper room is the manifest presence of Jesus. And I remember telling Heather, like, the word manifest, man, it's just so over my head. And so together we found a definition that I hope resonates with you. It says, the word manifest is defined as clear or obvious to the eye or mind. God's manifest presence is what believers see and know of him. Okay, so the manifest presence is something you feel, something you touch, something you see, something that you hear. But this is different than the omnipresence. Okay, the omnipresence of God is all over. The manifest presence of God is something you feel, touch, see, and hear. Got it? Good. All right. I also want you to know that the upper room is not just a specific room. Okay, the upper room is moments that you and I encounter God in our everyday lives. And again, I thought who best to learn about this from than the people of the Bible themselves. So we're going to be pitching a tent in Exodus 33 and 34. And that pun is intended. If you know about Exodus, there's a lot of tent action happening. If you don't, I hope that you do by the end of this. We're going to start this morning in Exodus 33, 8 through 11. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So in the Old Testament, the presence of God resided inside the tent of meeting. Only Moses would go in and he would actually go in on behalf of the Israelites. And I would say that the tent of meeting was one of the very first upper rooms in the Old Testament. Moses had incredibly unique encounters with God. He was given special access to God that not a lot of other people had. And with that access came great responsibility. Moses was actually chosen by God, if you don't know, to lead the Israelites out of Egypt from bondage, slavery to freedom, and he led them towards the promised land. And right now what's happening is they are um, actually in the wilderness. And oftentimes Moses would meet with God and he would come back and he would find the Israelites worshiping false idols, complaining about their freedom or unhappy about their circumstance. And I can only imagine that Moses began to feel worn out. Kind of like when your child asks for the 10th sippy cup of the morning and you're still three hours out from nap time. Or your child that's one year old is still waking up three times in the middle of the night or maybe five years old, who knows? And you're waking up, where's the coffee? A little zombie-ish. Or your teenager continues to leave his or her dirty clothes on the bathroom floor 
Mom, you don't know anything about that, do you? We never did that. Or the exhaustion of praying your wayward child back in to the hope and the promise of Jesus. Or an employee that you're managing continues to show up late to work and you've given them grace after grace after grace. Or your boss is a plain old jerk and he's hounding you to finish more projects to get that, get that job, to get that business. Or when you already are flooded with assignments and you walk in and your teacher's like, yo, pop quiz. You get the point on being worn out. And most of the time, when we've hit this point in our own lives, what do we do? Netflix binge. Social media scroll. My husband's favorite, video game. That wasn't a diss. Sorry, babe. He's not here. Grab a few extra snacks from the pantry. Hit the gym a little harder. Maybe even pour your wine a little heavier when you get home from work. I'm making a highly educated guess that Moses didn't have access to all of these things. Can you imagine Moses watching Netflix or Moses video gaming or scrolling through social media, catching the Israelites in action? Here is what I love about Moses. He continues to meet with God even when he's tired and even when he probably doesn't feel like it. And when everyone else is distracted around him, he doesn't get distracted. Moses is actually asked by God to climb back up Mount Sinai for probably the 1,000th time. And God actually says, hey, while you're at it, bring the stone tablets up with you. And those weighed about 115 pounds. Even for someone who's working, who works out, pulling that behind you up a mountain would get pretty heavy. Once at the top of the mountain, Moses spends 40 days and 40 nights there. Not only does he stay there for an extended maybe vacation, he fasts for the entire time. So no food, no water for 40 days and 40 nights. This is nearly impossible. Scholars say it's by a miracle that he was able to do this. Because some of us can probably survive 40 days without food, but it's pretty unlikely that we can survive 40 days without water. And actually, scholars say it's mentioned nowhere else in the Bible, and it's not suggested to repeat. So while on the mountain, Moses has an encounter with God, right? He speaks to him face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then he returns back down the mountain to Mount Sinai. And this is where we're going to pick up in chapter 34, verses 29 to 31. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. His face was radiant. There's a Hebrew word that says it was like beams of light. These movers here that were shining light during worship, it was like that, but it wasn't controlled by a motor or by the hand of David. 
David back there, not David in the Bible. Um, I just thought I'd clarify. Um, it was literally beams of light shining from his face. He was reflecting God. His close communion with God altered his appearance. And people were freaking out. They didn't want to go near him. And you would think that after 40 days of no food and no water, first of all, he might not be able to make it down the mountain because he's so weak. He would, you would think he'd be pale, his face maybe sunk in, but this was not the case. This explains that it was only by a miracle. Church, we carry this same radiance. As people who love God, this should be evident in our appearance and by our lives. Not by our clothes, not by the hair, the way our hair is or the way our makeup is, not by the vehicle we drive or the job status we hold, but by the radiance of our face because we have met with God. It's not enough to just know him anymore. It's not enough. Moses didn't just know God. Moses met with God. The radiance didn't become because he knew God or he knew of God. It was because he met with God. All upper rooms are the experience of the tangible presence of the Lord. I actually want to read more in Exodus 34 because it's just so good. We're going to pick up in verse 31 to 35. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over. And he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. Like I said, the people were terrified of Moses' face. They had never experienced an intimate relationship with God. They had, they had seen the bigness of God, the miracles of God, the plagues, all of those things. But they'd never experienced him intimately. They'd never experienced him face to face as one speaks to a friend. Just like you and I are sometimes fearful to meet with God, they were too. Moses actually shields the Israelites from their fear, and he would only take the veil off when entering the temple and when giving God's words to the people, and then he would put the veil back over his face. This veil has great significance a veil was actually placed in the tabernacle as a separation from the people and God. Sometimes I think of this veil as that sheer covering that a woman wears when she walks down the aisle getting married. It's see-through, it's thin, but this veil is different. It's more of a curtain. It's thick and it's private. This veil was actually 30 feet high and 30 feet wide, one massive curtain. No seams in the middle. It was huge. And some scholars believe that it was actually as thick as a man's hand. So if you look at your husband's hand or a guy's hand, insane, huge. And only specific people 
were allowed to pass through the veil into the holies, the holy of holies, the most holy place where the presence of God resided. So it sat the Ark of the Covenant and then the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is where the presence of God resided. And the only people that were allowed through were the high priest and maybe a select few others. And they were actually required to go through a ceremonial cleaning before they even went on the other side of the veil to experience God in the upper room. This, big, this really stuck out to me that this same veil would be still separating you and me like it separated the Israelites. It would still be separating us. But God so loved the world. God so loved you and me that he sent his one and only son to die on our behalf. That would be like you sending your son or your daughter or your little sibling or your niece or your nephew to die on behalf of someone you love. That really put this in perspective for me. In Matthew 27, Jesus was hanging on the cross and the crowds were crucifying him. And this is what happened. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and the tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who died were raised from the dead. If the Bible said it, it's true. This is, what, this is, this is so good. Guys, when Jesus died, the veil was torn. And it wasn't just a little bit torn off the corner. It wasn't just partly torn. It was torn in half forever. Not only was the veil torn, but the earth rattled. The earth shook and the rocks cried out. And as they cried, they split apart. And the tombs of the godly burst open. Because God sent Jesus to take victory over death. And as if that wasn't enough, he raised a few more people to prove himself. And I can only imagine that the people who crucified Jesus, their heads had to have been spinning on top of their shoulders when they saw the dead walking around. He's not done raising people from the dead. He did it in the Valley of Dry Bones. He did it with Lazarus. He did it with Jairus' daughter. He's done it for me. He's done it for people I love, and he will do it for you too. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed in the pure water. I I think this is so powerful and I think there are people in here who need to wake up to this. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, you can boldly 
not timidly, boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way to run through, to sprint through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great and mighty high priest who rules over God's house, let us go wildly, wildly right into the presence of God with sincere and glad hearts, fully trusting, not doubting, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, white as snow, and our bodies have been washed with the everlasting pure water. The upper room is the most intimate and vulnerable place you can be with God. It's the most intimate and vulnerable place to be with God, and we should be running wildly, waving our arms like banners of praise into the presence of God. But why aren't we? Why are we not clapping our hands, shouting at that? We should, the curtain is torn. We should be running after God into his presence. Why aren't we? What are you running from? Why do you, why do we struggle to turn off the noise in our life and be still with God? The thing our souls desperately need. Yes, there is busyness and distraction, and it's hard to sit still. Ask my three-year-old, most of you who know Boom. He doesn't, I don't even think he turns off the noise of his life until he's sleeping. God can speak to you in your sleep. But here's what I think. I think we are afraid of facing ourselves and afraid of facing God. And most of us, we're afraid of being found out. I've been reading this book by Jenny Allen. It's incredible. It's called Get Out of Your Head. I highly, highly recommend it. She writes three reasons why we hesitate to meet with God. Number one, the fear of being put to work. Sitting alone with God has a way of bringing action items that we try so hard to avoid to the surface of our consciousness. Need to forgive someone who wronged you. Reach out to that person who hurt you. Make good on a commitment you've been neglecting. Sitting with God in the quiet will remind you of these things and a thousand more. Number two, the fear of being asked to change. Worse still, what if the solitude reveals not just a specific action you need to take, but rather a broader issue that you need to repent of? The nightly numbing habit. The increasing tendency to yell at your kids. Being alone in the dark with someone that you're not married to. The pull of Facebook when you're being paid to work. If we don't make time for God, the Holy Spirit can't help us assess the quality of our lives. Therefore, we think we don't have to assess the quality of our lives. So we stay stuck 
in the same cycles over and over and over. Last one, number three, the fear that you're all alone in the world. Some of you are afraid to reach out to God because what if there's nobody home to take your call? Jenny wraps this up by saying, behind every one of these fears is a lie. And where do lies come from? The devil. That fear is, I cannot face God as I am. All we can see at first is the mess. And here's the truth. We are all messed up. I am every single one of us, which is exactly why we need time alone with God in the quiet where we can hear his healing voice. We need time with God alone in the upper room where we can hear his healing voice. We need him. So actually, what I want to do today is I want to give you practical things that you can remember for when you meet with God. It's not enough to just wake up, speed read your Bible, get a workout in, eat breakfast, and run out the door to work. That's only a small part of the upper room. The upper room is your everyday encounters with God. There are four common ways that God will speak to you in your upper room. Heidi actually preached on this several weeks back. You can go back and listen for greater detail, but I want to highlight them. And my hope is that as I say these out loud, the Lord will remind you of how he speaks to you. So number one, the hearer. This person hears God's voice in words, possibly audibly, but often inaudibly. The feeler. This person feels and experiences the emotions of God and often takes on the emotions of others. The seer. This person sees things in pictures and dreams and visions. And the knower. This person just knows in his or her mind what is right and true. And here's the thing. You can have one of these dominantly, and you can have a bunch of the other ones. Or you can have them all mixed in. You don't just have one way God speaks to you. Maybe you do. But you can have a little bit of all of them. And here's the thing, too. If you don't feel like God's speaking to you, ask him. That's how it works. God, speak to me. God, how are you going to speak to me today? And here's the thing. All of these things can happen while you're driving down the road, while you're waiting for your kid in the pickup line from school, while you're alone at your desk at work, even while you scrub the toilet. We've heard multiple people up here say, hey, God spoke to me when I was scrubbing my toilet. Maybe more of us need to scrub the toilet. I know I do. Change poopy diapers. When you're alone in your college dorm, when you're by yourself in the coffee shop, when you're at the beach and when you're in your bedroom and when you're at the kitchen sink watching the dishes for the 1,000th time. God has no limits on where he will meet you. And I want to take this another step forward because it's not, that's not enough. Because just hearing and listening to God isn't enough. We can't be like, okay, God, I'm ready. Talk to me. We have to meet with God. I love Psalm 63 so much. It says this, I overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. 
This doesn't say a diet's going to satisfy me like nothing else. This doesn't say my job is going to satisfy me like nothing else. This doesn't say dating him or her is going to satisfy me like nothing else. It doesn't say being married and having kids is going to satisfy you like nothing else. It says, I overflow with praise when I come before you for the anointing of your presence. The anointing of his presence satisfies us like nothing else. Like when we're stinking thirsty, right? When we are so thirsty, who's going to quench that thirst? Who is going to help that grumbling stomach? The bread of life and the blood of Jesus. Here's the thing. God is not an inside-the-box God. God is not just a Sunday morning God. And so I want to give you a few more ideas to help build your friend-to-friend relationship with God. Katie's actually going to help me. Man, I love giving stuff away. Thanks, church, for letting me do that. (laughs) Maybe art is your passion. Actually, a friend of mine, Kara, Man, she's hilarious. She told me, listen, everybody's an artist. And I'm like, I can't even draw a stick figure. She's like, no, everybody is an artist. I'm like, okay. I still haven't tried it, but I'm going to. Some of you enjoy art. Did you know that God will meet with you with your passion? God wants to speak to you in your unique way. So maybe you're supposed to turn on worship music and paint. That's a way to connect with God. Maybe you are supposed to color in a coloring book why music plays or why scripture is being read to you. I want you to think outside of the box, right? I want you to think about your everyday life where you can meet with God. So if art is your passion and you want to try something different or maybe you're already doing this, raise your hand. All right. So Katie has watercolor paints and she has a coloring book. She's going to bring it to you. Keep your hand raised. Keep your hand raised. Don't be shy. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You know, um, some of you connect with God through hunting, through being in the woods. That's my husband. There's a few other of you out here. Hunting, fishing, hiking, all the things. But I can't afford to buy property, and man, I can't afford to buy a bow. Hunting's expensive. But still do it. Maybe you love to write. Maybe you connect with God through scripture writing scripture, writing prayers. My sister has done this for like ever, since I came out of the womb, I think. And she's kept a journal since, like I said, the day I've known her. And in high school, she'd be at work (laughs) or she would be um, like hanging with her friends and I would be like tearing through a room. Where's the journal? I need to know. I need to know what so-and-so's doing. I need to know who she's talking to. You know, girl. Sorry. (laughs) But what I love about it is that In 2014, she journaled about her baby, probably. Her baby, who's now almost six years old. She probably journaled that God provided for her every need when life felt pretty crappy. Probably she journaled about the Lord providing a job for her so she could provide for her daughter. And guess what? In five years, she's going to look back and be like, dang, 2020 was good. I married my husband. I had another baby. And the Lord provided even more. That's why you journal. So, Leah, you need, a, you need a new journal, girl? Yeah, you do. <laughs> 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 
Maybe you're fascinated with the artifacts, the geography, the real things that make Jesus come to life, the history of Jesus. Who in here is fascinated with that part of Jesus? Who likes history? I know my brother-in-law does, but he already has this, so he can't raise his hand. Um, who, who likes, ge- oh yeah, go bro, right there. This is um, an archaeological Bible. It's really, really cool. I used it to prep for this message. Maybe you're a highlighter and a writer in the margins, and God's word comes alive to you through a marked up Bible. Who is that in here? Or who does that want to be? My mother-in-law right there. Perfect. Maybe memorizing scripture is what connects you to God. Maybe reading it out loud over and over again connects you to God. What, what I do is I put scripture next to our light switches, next to my mirror, things I want to pray over my kids, my husband. Um, we put it by the sink. We put it by the stove. I spent a lot of time in the kitchen. Um, and even in college, I actually stuck it on my dashboard to, remind, to be reminded um, about what scripture says and to keep me close to God. Maybe you connect with God through worship. Maybe you feel the presence of the Lord through the beat of the music or the lyrics of the song. And maybe you just need a fresh start. You just need a new Bible, a stake in the ground saying, today you are committed to getting with God in your upper room. We actually have a Bible we want to give to someone today. So is there someone in here who says, hey, I just need a fresh start. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. We want to get a Bible in your hands. Here's the thing. You saw Every single person connects with God differently. Every single one of us. Our souls long for the upper room. We can no longer live without the healing voice of God. Every one of us is needed. Every one of us has a purpose. But you can only find that purpose when you get out of your stuck cycle and you meet with God. Friends, it's not enough to just know him anymore. Some of you in here, you know of God, but you've never chosen an intimate relationship with him. You haven't decided to give your life to him. Maybe you came with a friend today unexpectedly walking into a church experience. But right now you feel, you see his presence and it's moving you. So right here in this moment, just invite him in. Give him access to your life and your heart. And I believe there's, there are some of you who are like, that doesn't apply to me. But some of you in here need to give your lives back to God. You've walked away You've been living for yourself. You've misunderstood. You've been stuck in your cycle. My brother-in-law was praying before church, and he said, there, are, there may be people who are distant from God, but that doesn't mean God doesn't see you, and that doesn't mean that he's not your child and you're welcome back. So right now, you too can ask the Lord to come back. You can stop living for yourself in the world, and you can start living for him. I actually just want to pray that right now. My friend says something called, we're going to seal it in the heavenly realms. So let's do that. Jesus, there are people in here who are hungry for you. There are people in here who don't know your healing voice or they have forgotten what your healing voice sounds like. 
So, Lord, we just ask that the Holy Spirit would fall on them, Lord. That they would know that nowhere is too far for you to reach them, God. And so we just ask that you would meet them where they are, Lord. And you would begin to set them on the path of wholeness and goodness. Your Bible doesn't say it's going to be perfect, but it does say that you're never going to leave us and you're never going to forsake us. And so, Lord, we just seal this. We seal this today, right now, that today you have marked these people for your glory and your purpose. It's in your name we pray. Amen. They say it takes 21 days to make a habit. I'm actually right now working on 21 days of staying on top of my budget. Because <laughs> I want to go on vacation. <laughs> and a lot of other things. Because someday I want to enjoy it. I want to make better spending choices and I want to see the fruit of my labor. You know that we speak things over ourselves every day. We speak them so often, maybe even for 21 days and we don't realize it, but we begin to believe them. I am fat. I'm ugly. I'm not smart. I'm too loud. I'm store brand. I'm not enough. But what if for 21 days, we as a church read Psalm 63, 1 through 8, write it down. Over and over and over again. Because right now, you might not feel like meeting with God. You might feel like your circumstances are pretty cruddy. But what would happen if you read this over and over again out loud to yourself for 21 days? So this is my challenge to you. I love a good challenge. I want you to print it out. You don't have a printer? I want you to write it out. Write it on a note card. Write it on any piece of paper you have, an old bill. Write it. Cut it out. And I want you to place this somewhere you're going to see it every single day. By your alarm clock. When you turn it off. By your mirror. In your car. By the light switch you turn on and off every day. By the garage door opener that you open to leave for work, you just pause for a minute and you read it. Speak it over yourself over and over and over again until you believe it, right? Psalm 63, 1 through 8. Oh, God of my life, I am lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I'm thirsty and I'm hungry. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more. With cravings in my heart that cannot be described. Church, would you stand with me? Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and drink in more of your glory for your tender mercies mean more to me 
than life itself. How I love and praise you, God, daily, not just every once in a while, daily, I will worship you passionately and with all of my heart. My arms will wave. If you're comfortable, put your hands out and receive from God. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. I overflow with praise when I come before you because the anointing, his anointing is here. His presence is here. The anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. Maybe your father does help you. Maybe your earthly father does. Maybe he doesn't. This father will. He'll help you through your circumstances, your pain, the diagnosis your spouse received, the job you lost, your child who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, your friend who's walking his or her own path, or even you. He'll hold your hand. He'll carry you back to him. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. With passion, I pursue and I cling to you. You are the hope of the world, the only one who can satisfy me. The only one. Because I feel your grip on my life, remember, Remember his grip on your life. Take this moment, reflect. Where has God shown up in your life? In your despair? In your broken marriage? In your addictions? It says, because I feel your grip on my life, I keep my soul my thirsty, hungry soul close to your heart. Let's pray, church. Jesus, you see us. You see our every need. Today is the day we decide to turn our eyes towards you. We decide to get in our upper rims, to be aware of your presence, even in the mundane life. Jesus, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Let our hearts be tender and responsive, Lord. Remove any stony and stubborn heart right now, God. And replace it with relaxed shoulders and tender and responsive hearts to respond to you. Let us not just be okay with a one-day relationship with Jesus on a Sunday, but let us hunger and thirst for an everyday relationship, a friend-to-friend, a face-to-face relationship, Lord. We don't want to live without your healing voice. We can't anymore, God. So, Lord, this week I just ask that you would show up, 
specifically to every single person. And I pray that every person would take a step, a step of faith, knowing that you're going to show up. So, Lord, we just seal it, Lord. Lord, your presence is welcome here, God. Break it all off right now as we worship in this last song. Let us come boldly. Let us come boldly because the curtain is torn forever. Let us come boldly into your presence. Let us go wildly, arms waving like banners of praise into your presence, God. Do what only you can do, Jesus. We love you. Amen.